Today we're going to talk about a topic that is common to all of us. We're talking about something called work. Now, when you talk about work, maybe you're thinking in a very highly spiritual way, or we're talking about, like, you have to work for salvation versus, no, 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 no. I'm talking about you, what you do every day, you know, that highly delightful activity that you do from about 8 to, what, 6, a lot of you, from Sundays through Thursday, talking about your job. And so today, we're, we're talking about this reality of work. And how our work is truly a gift from our Father in heaven. So the daily work that all of us have to do, whether you are employed or whether you are not employed, regardless, we all have things that we have to do. There's all of us that have daily work to accomplish. And it is indeed a gift from God that we can be busy and that we can work. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I, I can't read your mind, but I can read your mind. You, you're already saying, you're crazy. My job is not a gift. My job is really stressful, and my job is really hard, and you don't know my boss. The reality is, I've been around here for now two years, which I know is not that long, but for Abu Dhabi, that is kind of a long time, and I've spoken to numerous people. And I've learned, and I learned this actually very early on, that work in Abu Dhabi is really hard. That work here is demanding, with very long hours, with a lot of uncertainty, oftentimes very thankless, with management that sometimes doesn't even care what you think, and yet expects you to produce in ways that are even beyond your capacity. And so I've spoken to so many people, and I don't approach this topic from God's word with any sense of levity, because the reality is that I, I don't know, but I know because of what I've seen and heard and testimonies, that work here is very difficult. And yet, God has a fresh word that he wants to speak to each one of us about our daily work. His word speaks afresh on how we must think about how we must approach what we do every day and how we do it. And so we need to hear from God's word what he has to say about our daily work. And this applies to every one of us. Those of you that are teenagers, all the way up to those of us that are not, this truth applies to us. And so let's read out of God's word in Colossians chapter 3. So the letter of the Apostle Paul to church in Colossae, chapter 3. And as the Holy Spirit, as he inspired the Apostle, here's what he writes. And we're in verses 22 all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing you also have a master in heaven. Let me give you the primary truth, the main idea from this text 
and then talk about the content. So first of all, it's on the screens. The main idea from this text is that a disciple's daily work is designed to be worshipped before Jesus. So this is what we're learning here at Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1, that a disciple's daily work is designed to be worshipped before Jesus. Now, before we comment and elaborate on this primary truth from this text, let me give you some context. Because the very first word that we read is what? In verse 22. Slaves. Now, some of you think, I feel like one of those. But no one here is a slave in the way that Paul was describing slaves in the first century Roman world. Now, what we just read in Colossians 3.22 through 4.1 is, is a paragraph. It's a unit that actually begins back up with verse 18. Now, verses 18 through 21, the first part of this paragraph, so the context, is that he is describing the biblical role in a family. And so the husband's role, a, a wife's role, even the children's role. And so this is a great text to look at as a family. It's describing what God has revealed and how a home should function. And then in verse 22, he talks to slaves. You're thinking, well, why? that's weird. Why would Paul address slaves in a family text? Well, the reason is that in the first century context, slaves are part of the household. It was a very personal thing. So it wasn't big corporations. Slaves lived with the family. And so addressing the household would require the apostle to also address slaves. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, isn't slavery bad? Yes, of course slavery is bad. And you'll notice in this text, the apostle Paul does not condemn slavery. But isn't slavery evil? Yes, it is. So you're thinking, well, then why doesn't he just come on and condemn it? Why doesn't he say there ought not be slavery? Why does he give principles for slaves? Well, the reason is that the gospel that the apostle is proclaiming does not focus on transforming institutions or transforming governments or cultures as a whole. I will say this, though. Slavery was eventually, as an institution, abolished primarily by believers in Jesus. And the reason is that the gospel focuses on transforming individual lives. And so individual lives that are transformed will then eventually transform institutions and cultures and governments. But the Bible doesn't focus on change the government. It focuses on change individuals who then go forth and do see transformation in a much larger scale. So the apostle here is talking about individual transformation, how we follow Jesus individually in the life setting that we are in. And what you're seeing here in the first century Rome, slaves, their life setting was just that, slavery. So he addresses how can you follow Jesus in that context. Now, there are principles here. And the timeless principles that we just read apply to you and me in the 21st century in an age where, unfortunately, slavery still does exist. It's different than it was in the first century. But as an institution, there's no more slavery. But the principles here still apply to us as employees and or employers, which is why the main idea, if you look at the principle here, is that a disciple's daily work is designed to be worshipped before Jesus. Your work is not just a J-O-B. 
that, oh, I have to go to my job to pay the bills and buy food and keep the wife happy. It's not just that. Now, maybe it is that, but it's far more than that. It's not just a J-O-B to pay the bills. Your work is so much more. Your work is an avenue. It's an opportunity to glorify Jesus. So ultimately, you work for Jesus, as we see here in this text. You don't work for men. I mean, just stop for a second. Stop and think about how many hours you spend working every day. Now, ideally, it would be eight, eight, eight. You know, eight hours you sleep. Wouldn't that be great, right? Ideally, eight hours at sleep, eight hours at work, and eight hours with your family. That would be a wonderful triplet. It doesn't always work that way. But how many hours do you spend working? And if you stop and really ponder that, then you begin to realize, well, God must and God does care about that because of the sheer volume of hours it occupies in our lives. And God cares about you, what you do. And so that absolutely includes your work. He cares about how you work. And so we must begin to see our work something much bigger, that your work is a means of worship. And so how can we do that? How can we live a life where through our work we're actually worshiping Jesus? Well, this text gives us four steps, and all four are building upon each other. So if you miss the first one, you can't get to the second one. You miss that, you can't get to the third one. You miss that, you can't get to the fourth. And so these are building truths. And so let's look at the first one on work as worship. So the very first step that you can't miss is that you must begin to see your work as time with Jesus. So that's your, if you take notes, you can follow along. So the first step in being able to work as worship is you have to see your work as time with Jesus. Now, as men, this, I'm, I'm a guy too, so I'm like this. We guys, we tend to do what's called compartmentalize. We have our compartments. We have our boxes. Now, women do this less, but men, we're, we're very good at this. And so we'll, we'll have our compartment, our box. And so I'll have my leisure box, and maybe we'll have then next to it my family box, or I'll have my work box, or even my Jesus box. And these boxes are all separate, all neat, organized, and they never touch each other. And they're all separate. And so, for example, the guy will love Jesus, and he'll talk about Jesus on a Friday morning, on a Tuesday night in his home group. He'll he'll talk about Jesus there. But we talk about Jesus on Sunday at 9 a.m. No way. Because that's not in his box. He's in his work box. And the work box is separate from his Jesus box. And so they're not going to touch. And so he has Jesus, but it's a different box. And so we all tend, well, I say all, but guys especially, we tend to think this way. But that's not biblical. Your whole life needs to have Jesus permeate every single area, every single quote-unquote box or compartment of your life has to have Jesus in it where you are thinking about him, where he's on your mind and on your lips all the time in every context, not only at church. And so if you want your work life to be transformed, then you have to begin to see work, even that, as time with Jesus. It'll become worship. 
So what I'm talking about here is enjoying Jesus throughout your day. What I'm talking about is, if you wanted to put it in very simple terms, is having him on your mind. So as you're working, as you're busy, as you're on the computer or in meetings or whatever your mind is occupied with when you're busy at work, you still have Christ on your mind and close to your heart. So you're working with this conscious awareness that Jesus is right there with you. And so this takes focused thinking. So what you see that here is in Colossians 3.22. It says, cause believers, it says, work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So the word fear there is referring to this reverence, this heart of worship and awe, reverence before God. And so a heart that values him more than anything else. So we're called to have this constant, worshipful spirit throughout the day. Now, the word worship, we use it all the time. We talked about this in the home group this last week. It was a great conversation. We're talking about, well, what is worship? And we were describing what it is, and then we were kind of having a hard time defining the what exactly is worship. It was a great conversation. So if you don't have a home group, you're missing out on these kind of conversations. They'll just edify you, build you up. But we're talking about how worship, how the word worship actually comes from the old English word worth-ship. And, and the reason why that had the old English word is because it was capturing the biblical language. The Bible describes as what worship is. It's having more worth in God than anything else. So valuing God more. And so worship is what you ascribe value or worth to. So that's what it is. You worship what you ascribe ultimate or supreme value or worth. And so the word worship evolved into our modern day worship. And so we are called to have more value and have more worth for Jesus than anything else. We're called to worship him. But here's the thing. We can't stop worshiping. We are always worshiping. You and I, as humans, were created to worship, and so we are constantly seeing something that we value, constantly looking to it, constantly desiring it, and constantly enjoying it and seeking comfort from it, and, and for a lot of us, even defining our self-worth in relation to it, whatever it is that has captured our gaze and our attention that we are valuing and desiring the most. That's what you worship. So you can't turn it off. It's always there. We're always worshiping. The question isn't, will you worship? The question for us is, what or who are we worshiping? And Jesus deserves our worship. He alone is worthy of our affections and of us valuing him more than anything else. And so what this is, is we have to have focused thinking. So how does this work every day? You're, you're at work, okay? And then suppose you're stressed. Anyone ever get stressed at work? No? Just pastors, right? Oh, okay. So when you're at work and you're stressed, when, not if, what do you do? How do you respond? What do you think about? Likely, you're going to think about how you can control or manage. And by the way, if you're in leadership, you have to think about how you're going to address the issues. So I'm not saying don't think critically at work. What I'm saying is on your mind when you're stressed, 
Focus your thinking on Jesus and pray. Talk to him. And you can even remember scripture like 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says that we can cast all of our burdens on, on him. So cast my anxieties on you, Jesus. And so you can think. You can just think to yourself. Jesus, okay, right now I'm really anxious. I'm just experiencing great anxiety and stress. And Jesus, I need you to help me, and I'm going to give this to you. I, I need your wisdom. And so you've just brought Jesus, his presence, through his spirit, into that situation where you're not handling it all by yourself. You have just acknowledged that you need him to help you in this stressful situation. And you're casting your burdens upon him. What if you're tired? What if you're at work and you're just, you're just exhausted? You're so tired either of your boss or situations or whatever things are happening, and you find yourself just exhausted. Think of Isaiah 41.10, for example. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. So you think about that and say, Jesus, I need you to uphold me. You promised you would strengthen me, so you, you claimed that. And the moment you just invite Jesus and you remember that he is with you, because he is, his spirit is in you. So he's right there with you, but sometimes we're not consciously focusing or thinking on that. What if you're confused? What if you have a situation and you really don't know what you should do, or or it's just a a very difficult decision ahead of you? We talked about that more last week on knowing God's will. But in this situation, say you're at work. Well, Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you should go. You say, Jesus, help me. Give me. Give me direction. I don't know what I should do with this. I need your help. Just this morning, early, I paired with a brother who came, and he was just so broken about work being so difficult and just demands upon him that he can't possibly meet. And people below him that he oversees that won't do their job. And he was just almost in tears and frustration and said, will you pray for me? We went together, Shishu, and we just prayed, God, will you please direct my brother? and Will you please help him in this situation? Guide him and give him wisdom and, and work in the hearts of those people that are being very difficult in a work situation. But so he was remembering these principles on his own this week and saying, Jesus, praying at work, I need you. So the point here is that you need to see your work as an opportunity, as, a, as an avenue to continue experiencing God's presence, to, to continue spending time with him talking to him throughout your day, thinking about Jesus throughout your day, having him on your mind and on your lips all the time, inviting him into all the situations at work. We can't separate our daily work from God's presence. And you know what will help you? I mean, honestly, this, this will help you. Start your day reading his word and read it slowly and read it in context. Don't, don't just pick random. Don't, don't do the... Okay, I'm going to read and then just pick a random verse. I'm not saying that's evil, but it's much better. Pick a, pick a verse, pick a book rather, and study that book. Start with John or Ephesians. It doesn't matter. Pick one and read one verse every day or one paragraph every day. Systematically seeing, well, what does this book reveal? What is God saying to me through this book as a unit? And read it slowly. Focus your thinking as you meditate on it. You spend time praying. And then you're going to have Jesus much closer. You'll sense his presence more close to your heart if you will begin by spending time with him in the morning. And so the first step here towards seeing your work as worship is intentionally think 
about Christ and be in a constant, prayerful, and worshipful state throughout your day. All right, once you get that, that's step one. If you miss that, forget it, you're done, all right? But if you get that, step one, then you'll be able to go up the next one to the second step. You'll be able to see your work as your calling. If you're not close to Jesus, forget the second one. But if you are, you're experiencing, you're you're close to him, then you'll be able to see your work as your calling. You see this in verses 23 and 24. So here's what he gives instructions on. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He says, whatever you do, do heartily as for the Lord. So all of life, whatever you do, all of life is meant to be worshipped before Jesus. And he says, you are serving the Lord Christ. This right here, this is the meaning of life. There are people that say, well, what is the meaning of life? And then they, and they go to the Himalayas or, or they go to Tibet and sit in the snow wearing a orange jumper and saying, oh, a lot of times. And they're trying to figure out the meaning of life. Okay? It's right here. Serving the Lord Christ. You and I were created to serve him. We're created to know him, to enjoy him. The word for this is worship. That's what we're created for. That is the meaning of life. And the point here is that you and I will serve. It's not a question of who or will you serve. The question is, whom will you serve? Because we're created to worship, created to serve. So either we're going to serve Jesus as our master, or we're going to serve something or someone else instead. But we're all going to serve. We're all going to worship. And the way you approach your job every day is a reflection of how you're doing spiritually. Your heart before God. So you have an employer. All of you that have a job here have someone that sponsors you, that, that bids your salary, and so you have an employer. But you actually work for someone much higher, for the king, your master, Jesus, as you are working for Christ. Remember, the main idea of this text is that a disciple's daily work is designed to be worship before Jesus. And so the second step on these steps here is that you must see your work as your calling from God. Now, the word for vocation, that's your career, right? So I may quote vocational minister. And so you're a vocational engineer or educator or maybe some of you are, are vocational mothers, right? What does the word vocation even mean? Where does the word come from? The word vocation, your career, the word vocation comes from the Latin word, which means to call. That's what it means. So your vocation, that word means your calling. And so when, when you read or you hear or, or contemplate that you have a vocation, that is your calling from God. And so whether you are a teacher Maybe you're a pilot, or you're an engineer, you're a mother, or you're a soldier, or Captain Andrew, he's a Marine, not a soldier. Big difference for the American. Big difference. Maybe if you're a street sweeper, and you think, I just sweep streets, or I just clean bathrooms. Or maybe you're a doctor. No difference. Construction worker. 
a laborer living in a labor camp. Maybe your cabin crew. The list goes on. It doesn't matter what you do if you're doing it for the glory of God. There is no greater honor to be a prestigious whatever politician or doctor or a, a low-level laborer sweeping streets or serving at the local mall in the food court. There is no greater honor in doing one or the other before God if you're doing it with the heart to worship him out of thankfulness, humility. It is pleasing to him. It is worship to him. It is glorious to him. So we must not look down on people that have a different calling from our own. Because God called all of us to work. Humans were designed by God to work. Listen, God did not create humans to sit around couches just surfing through Pinterest and Facebook or sports scores. That's not. That's not what God made us for. He designed us to be industrious. Designed us to work. Why? Because God's at work. You think God's lazy? No. You think God wastes his time with social media? No. He doesn't waste his time. God is at work. And so we are to be at work as well. Because we are his image bearers. He's made us to work. To work hard. Now, some are thinking, no, that's not true, preacher boy. You're wrong. Because the Bible says the work is a curse. Haven't you read the Bible? Don't you know it says that work is a curse? Well, let's read that together. Genesis 1, 28, very beginning. It says, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. So we're told here by God to be fruitful and multiply. So we're told to have babies. This is good. Our church is good at this. It's great. And so we're accomplishing God's command here to be fruitful and to multiply. Procreation glorifies God. It does. Why? Because human beings are beautiful and are made in his image and reflect his glory. And so when we, when we have more of them, there's more imagers of God on the planet. God is further glorified. And so procreation is good. And we should have babies. But is this all this describing here? No, it's more than that. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, you check, check, and subdue it and have dominion. So he says, have babies, but not just have babies. He says, two key words are subdue, and then he says, dominion. He's describing to have control, dominion. Who has dominion? A king has dominion over his domain. So who has dominion? A king. He rules. He has authority. So we're to rule, we have control, and then to subdue refers to develop. And so we're told by God as humans to control and to develop the world, the natural world. How do you do that? How do you control and develop things? You have to work at it. We're told to work. And you see it repeated in more detail in chapter 2, verse 5. It says, no small plants of the field had yet sprung up. Because there was no man to work the ground. Listen, there were no bushes. There were no manicured lawns. There, why? Why no fruit bearing? Why? Because there was no man to work 
the ground yet. This is before man was created. Verse 15, after man is created, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And so we're told here that God created Adam to work the garden, to keep it, to subdue it, to develop it. Now, by the way, this right here that you're reading in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is before the fall. Because when the corruption and sin come into the world, Genesis chapter 3, after this. So before there was a fall, before there was sin, before there was corruption, there was work. Work is good and honorable. The problem with work is that it's corrupted. So work is not a result of the fall. Work is glorifying to God. It reflects his character as a God who is at work. But work being work, work being burdensome, work being painful, and the toil and the drudgery of work, that is a result of the fall. And so work is good, but sin has corrupted it. Just like it's corrupted everything else, including our relationships, our bodies. Everything is corrupted, including our work. That's because of the sin. But praise be to God that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, pay for our sins, resurrect powerfully, offer us forgiveness, redeem his world, restore everything back to the Garden of Eden. It will now be the whole planet, the new heavens, the new earth, and everything is going to be restored and good and holy, including our own bodies, including our work. So we will work in heaven. We're going to have jobs It's called earth. Read the end of Revelation. Why would God call it earth if it had no connotations with what we have here called earth? So it will still work because we're made to work, but it won't be drudgery and it won't be painful. And it'll be a delight. It'll be what it's supposed to be, worship to Jesus. It'll be pleasant. We'll enjoy everything on heaven, including how we work for God's glory. And so I look forward to that. I absolutely can't wait to see what God is going to do and how he's going to accomplish it. So we must begin to see what we do every day, our work as a calling from God to accomplish our purpose for existing, which is to worship Jesus. And so as we work, we should be thinking about Jesus. And then here, secondly, is enjoying using your skills, enjoy using your talents and abilities, as simple as it may be, is still God gave you the ability to do that job. And so we need to enjoy using our skills to subdue and to develop the earth. And so Colossians 3.24 tells us that we will receive the inheritance as your reward. We, we think of our reward at work as our paycheck. We think I earned it, and so I work, and so I get paid. But the payment here, the reward is much greater. It's heavenly. It's much higher. And so we don't work for man. Ultimately, we work for the glory of Jesus who died for us and has called us to reflect his beauty. So a disciple's daily work is designed to be worshipped before Jesus. The first step is that you must enjoy Jesus throughout your day. If you can get that right, you can go on to step two, and you'll be in a position where you'll be able to see your work as a calling from this Jesus that you enjoy every day. 
And then thirdly, you'll be able to, number three, step three, is see your work as means for sanctification. God desires to grow you. And so your work is an opportunity to grow in your faith. Your work is an opportunity for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus, for him to take our character that is so selfish and so sinful, and he is refining us, but he refines us through fire. And a lot of times that fire is from 8 to 5 at work. It is. But it's the refiner's fire, and he uses our work to grow us to maturity and to transform us and to expose our sinfulness to us. And so what you see here in verse 22, he says, obey in everything. So we're told to be obedient to our boss, obedience employees. And he says in the same verse, not eye service. What does that mean? Eye service, and he says people pleasing, is, and we've all seen this, right, at work, where whenever the boss is around, everyone works hard, right? And then the boss leaves, and what happens? Everyone slacks off. Everyone takes a longer break than they were really supposed to. And everyone's, the work begins to really diminish. Production goes down because the boss has now left. So it's just eye service. We want to look like we're good employees, but in actuality, maybe we're not. We're just trying to please man versus Jesus. He's like, don't do that. He says, why? Because you have a master in heaven, and he's watching, and he cares how you live. And your work ought to be worship to Jesus. And so you should work hard, not lazily. But this requires spiritual growth and our sanctification. And so then he says, work heartily in verse 23. Now, the word heartily literally means from the soul, from the life is what it's referring to, from deep down inside. So we're called to work hard with the good attitude that comes from deep within, from your soul, a soul that has been transformed by Jesus, that sees work as a calling, that now is being sanctified through work. And so you have an opportunity through your sometimes very difficult work. And if you can have a good work ethic, you're displaying God's glory. So we're to work hard and we're to work loyally and work honestly and work with excellence because we're working for Jesus ultimately in whatever we do. And by the way, this applies to stay-at-home moms. We have a church full of stay-at-home mothers. I love that. It is such a joy and a privilege to be able to raise your children. But I can imagine some of you are thinking, this, this job is really hard. I change like 13 diapers a day, and I'm up all night feeding and nursing this baby. And I never get a break. At least my husband gets home, and he can relax, and a mom never gets a clock out. She's always on the clock. When you are serving your child, when you're washing those dishes, when you're changing those diapers, when you're picking up Cheerios off the floor, when, when you're picking up toys that are all across your house and it feels like you live at Toys R Us, what you're doing is you're investing in eternity. You are serving the little soul, or for many of you, souls, that God has entrusted to you as a mother, and there's no higher calling than being a mother. And so when you care for those little ones, what you're doing is worship. You are pleasing your Father in heaven. You're fulfilling your calling and your purpose for existence. And it's not menial. It's not meaningless. 
and it might feel thankless. And I know a mom's role is sometimes quite thankless. But I want to say this morning as, as your pastor, thank you. Thank you for loving your children. Thank you for teaching them and for raising them in a home where they'll know Jesus and love him and want to make him known. That's your calling as a mother. And that has eternal value. And those of you in the room that don't have jobs yet because you're still too young, you're still in school, your students, your teenagers, this applies to you as well. Because when you work hard and aren't lazy, when you don't waste all your time playing video games or whatever, when you really are engaged and you do your best and you do your schoolwork and you study hard, and you, whether you get good grades or not, the grades are secondary. God sees your heart, student. And if you do your best to please Jesus with how you work with your school, it's an act of worship before your God in heaven. When we do it out of thankful hearts, desiring to please Jesus with all that we do, it's worship. But this applies to everyone. Chapter 4, verse 1 reminds us, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is for those of you that have senior positions. It's a lot of you do. A lot of you are leaders at work. And you have people that are above you, yes, but you have those that are below you that you have to oversee and manage. And many of you oversee many people in your work. And so if you're in management or you're some sort of leadership or senior role at work, this applies to you. You were called to work and to lead people, how does it say? Justly and fairly. And so you are accountable to your master in heaven for how you lead those that are under your care at work. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no secular. We live in a world that says, oh, they're secular. No, There's not. If you're a follower of Jesus, everything is sacred. Everything is spiritual, including your work. We do it all for the glory of our king. And what about when it's hard? What about when work is just, you want to quit? You want to leave Abu Dhabi? You're like, I'm done with this. This is just too much. What happens when it's really hard? Verse 25 has some truth to encourage you. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. When it's hard, you trust Jesus. You trust him. He'll take care of you. He'll make it right. If you're being abused at work, if you're being accused unfairly, if you're being persecuted, I know some of you are being persecuted. I'll talk to some of you that because you're a believer in Jesus, it's hurt you at work. God will take care of that. You trust him. You just glorify Jesus through how you work. He is growing you, sanctifying you through your work. This is part of his plan. And so submit to him and rest in him. So step one, recapping, we'll close to step four. Step one is we enjoy Jesus at work. Step two is you are able to then see that as your calling. And then that lets you do step three, which is see your work as a means for your sanctification. Lastly, step four, you see your work as your mission field. You can see your work as a mission field. Our mission is to glorify God by making and developing disciples. That's why we're here as a church, and that's why you're here in Abu Dhabi. Worship is the means and the end of mission. Hear me. Worship is the means and the end of mission. So we share the gospel with lost people. Why? Why do we share with lost people? 
because we want them to enjoy what we're enjoying. Our hearts should break when we see someone who is not enjoying Jesus. When we see people that are lost in their religion, they're lost in the slavery of their addiction to their religion even. They're no joy, lifeless, like robots just going through life. And we see people and our hearts should break. Our hearts should ache for the lost who don't know forgiveness, who don't know the joy of Jesus and of his presence. We should, we should be so heartbroken over those who just are lost. And because we're worshiping, we're enjoying Jesus. And I see my friend, my neighbor, he doesn't know. He, he doesn't enjoy Jesus. He's not worshiping Jesus. And so our mission propels us. Our worship propels us to the mission. And so when that person then re- receives Christ, they're going to then worship alongside of us. And so mission begins with worship. And then it ends with us worshiping together. And you're all missionaries. Listen, if you're here, you're a missionary. You're a missionary. We're all about the mission. Where you live, you tell others the good news. And so we should see our relationships as a means for the mission. So God has blessed you with work so that you can then tell others. We read earlier from John 17, the worship gathering. It says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for us. Don't take them out of the world. Sanctify them in truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus does not want you out of the world. He doesn't want you being a hermit. He doesn't want you being alone and isolated. He wants you to have a job, to be in the world, so you can go reach them. That's why we're here as an act of worship. So our church is amazing people. I keep meeting new people every week. If you're new, join us for lunch today. I want to get to know you. I had lunch with a brand new couple just last week, new to our church, second week here. And we're talking about this, and, and she said, I love this. She said, your vocation is a location for your mission. I was like, oh, I'm going to steal that one from you, sister. Your vocation is a location for your mission. That's exactly right. That's what it is. And so we must begin to see our work from God's perspective as an act of worship. That's what it is. And if we will, by faith, take these steps, begins with Christ and ends with others knowing about him, we'll be further transformed, including from 8 to 5. If you're here today, and this is the first time that you've ever heard anything remotely talking about how our lives are designed to be worshipped before Jesus, Maybe you've realized that that's not you, that you're not worshiping Jesus. You worship something or someone else. Today, you can repent and believe in Jesus, and he will receive you, and you can worship him. You can experience his joy that we're talking about. If you repent of your sins, turn away and trust in Jesus, he'll save you. Will you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we thank you for giving us this time to look at your word to be encouraged and even challenged by it. I thank you for our work. We don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted. We thank you for our work. And we want to please you with our work. I pray that we would be faithful to work for you, not out of duty, not out of drudgery, but out of delight as we enjoy you. May we be a church that is so thrilled by you that it shows in how we live. We praise you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.